So we're in a series called Carpe Diem, and it's a Latin word, it means seize the day. And it's an incredible, incredible thought that we can actually take our lives and really make it what um, God wants it to be. Week one, we talked about the fact that 60,000 thoughts cross your mind during a course of one day. Mind-boggling, I know. And they've done some research and found that 80% of those thoughts that you make in the course of a day are typically a, a negative thought something not positive from the very beginning as you wake up in the morning. We talked about how Joseph had 50-20 vision, Genesis 50 verse 20, and he was able to see all the pain that his brothers had caused him. Instead of becoming bitter, he was able to turn and reflect and say to his brothers, he said, you know what you intended to do to harm me, God intended for it to be the saving of many souls. And and so we talked about the importance of, of living our lives in such a way where we're not bitter, not angry, but we're thankful for what we've gone through. In week two, we talked about um, how we can learn to um, live lives where we embrace what's going on around us. Like Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor in England in the 1800s said, I learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And we talked about how Moses was leading the people through uh, out of Egypt and now into hopefully their promised land. And three days into their journey, they ha- find themselves in a very hard spot. The waters of the Red Sea in front of them, two mountains on both sides, and now the Egyptian army coming into the back. And, and they were crying out, what is it we gonna do? You brought us out here to kill us. And Moses says, no. And he stands up and he makes this incredible speech. And he says, basically, face your fear and stand still Hold your peace and watch the salvation of God take place. How many know that's the posture that we must take in our lives many times, over and over again? Face your fear, stand still, hold your peace, and watch God bring about a deliverance in your life. And then last week, for those that weren't here, we talked about this, and this was the big idea last week, that successful people do consistently what others just do occasionally. And that our lives really are a culmination of all the decisions that we make in our life. And consistency is the challenge for us all. That we live our lives in such a way that through consistent habits and consistent disciplines of our life, that we allow God to begin to produce something in the long haul and not get caught up and give up because we don't see anything happening in the short haul. And so now that brings us to today in our series, and here's the big idea I want to give you today. You can write this down in your notes. There will come a moment when you have to cut the rope. Everybody say, cut the rope. There will come a moment when you will have to cut the rope and take a step of faith. In 1853, in New York City, they were having the World's Fair, and they had a particular building at the World's Fair that they had built called the um, Crystal Palace. And it was specifically there for people to come and show off their inventions that they had and then things that they had created from throughout the world. And it was probably the most popular building of the World's Fair. Elijah Otis showed up and probably stole the show of all the inventions that were being displayed with his demonstration. What he invented was an elevator brake. In New York City at that time, 
The tallest building was five stories. You would never find any kind of a building over five stories because people just didn't want to climb more than five stories and back down. He'd invented an elevator break and that would allow skyscrapers to begin to be built if they so desired. However, people wasn't, they weren't going to buy it. This, the thought of just descending down a long shaft with, uh, with a hope that it would stop at the bottom somewhere was too much for them to grasp. So he decided to enter his invention into the world's fair, and so he built a, an elevator shaft that he could see from the audience's perspective, and he stood at the top in an elevator at the top of this shaft with a rope attached to the, shaft, to the elevator and to the top of the shaft. And he stood there and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I've invented a brake system that will allow this, this elevator to stop at my command. And so what I'm going to ask is I'm going to ask this man standing above my head with a machete or an axe in his hand to break the rope, cut the rope, and allow me to descend at will. And everyone was like, what? What in the world? And so, sure enough, he said, Axeman, cut the rope! And there he stood in his elevator, and the Axeman cut the rope. And when he cut the rope, suddenly the elevator began to descend at high rates of speed. And then, just at when people thought this is going to be a terrible, terrible thing, he he administered the brake of the elevator and it slowly came to a stop. And everybody stood there with their mouths wide open and he said to them, ladies and gentlemen, I'm okay, all is well, all is well. And they left, they left that building, that Crystal Palace thinking, my goodness, what an invention. The next year, someone said, we're gonna buy into that. We believe it is safe and they built the first high-rise over a five-story um, limit in New York City on Broadway Street. 54 years later, there were over 500 skyscrapers in New York City, all developed because Elijah Otis cut the rope. In fact, the Otis elevator company, you've probably have seen the Otis elevator company advertise or in elevators you've been on, they did a research and they found that over 7 billion, 7 billion people ride in an elevator every three days. So in the course of a week, there's over 14 billion people riding in these elevators. None of that would have happened had not there been a man who said, cut the rope. Turn to your neighbor this morning and tell him, you need to cut the rope. Come on, somebody. You need to cut the rope. See, the issue really in life is that we, we don't like taking risks. Come on, somebody. We're not prone to taking risks. In fact, what that leads to is what we call inaction regrets. Psychologist Tom Gilovich said 84% of our regrets will not be the mistakes that we made, but will be the, the I wish I would have, I wish I could have, I wish I would have opportunities that we allow to slip by us. The majority of our regrets will be the things that we did not do, the missed opportunities that we didn't take advantage of, 
years ago, and the magazine came out called Sharper Image, and it would come to our home from time to time. And I was fascinated with this little magazine, Sharper Image, because it was filled with all these little inventions of things that, that were just kind of unique that you would find from ballpoint pens to, to windows to glass to things that you travel with. And, and, and I'm, my dad, I remember sitting there and, and looking at the magazine with my dad, and, and my dad goes, see that right there? I thought about that 10 years ago. We flipped the pages, a couple of pages. See that? I'll be dog. I came up with that idea five years ago. Flipping the pages. I don't believe that. Look at that. I, I thought of that 20 years ago. And as we, we got done, by the time we got done with the magazine, I was upset with my dad. Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you make it a reality? Why? Now we're sitting here looking at something that you had thought of all this time and you never did anything. It's called inaction regrets. There's a, there's a concept called grand gestures, and it describes basically a point of no return. In other words, it's where you give up something that you think is big to move the ball down the field a little bit further in order for the cause that you desire to become a reality. Some examples would be a romantic gesture. Some of you men may remember this and perhaps did this where you were at a crowded restaurant and everybody's there and you just worked up all your nerve but you didn't care because your love for this woman that was all dressed up at this fancy restaurant was greater than your fear of looking like an idiot in front of all these people. And so you, you knelt down at the right time and, and you pulled out this little box and you opened it up uh, for this beautiful woman sitting in the chair and you said the words, will you? marry me. And everybody looks and she goes, yes. And she, they all clap. And that was called a grand gesture, romantic gesture. Unlike the guy that I was watching not long ago. And he, he was the mascot for this particular pro basketball team. And, and so he wanted to make a proposal to his to his bride-to-be, and, and so he brings her out. She doesn't know who it is, and she, his mascot brings her out to center court, takes off his mask, his helmet, his head dress, and kneels down and does that whole move, and everybody's watching, and every, all the cameras, and she goes, no, and she ran off the court. That's when he put the mascot headdress back on and he was never seen again. I, there, there's times where you have to take a risk. Come on, somebody. But, but the, most of the time, it, it'll work out. It's like the physical gesture as well where you take your phone out and, and you decide today's the day. I'm, I'm losing weight starting today. And so you get in front of the mirror and you take that selfie of all 500 pounds of yourself, come on, and you smile at yourself or however you're pointing it. And you take this picture, the before picture, because you are making a moment, a gesture in your life that from this point on, uh, things are going to change. And, and so, you know, after several months or perhaps a year or two later, you're able to take that after picture. What a difference it is. Why? Because you made a gesture, a physical gesture. Then there's the creative gestures where you 
You think you're outside the box and do even crazier things like the Moravians back in the 1740s and 50s. They, they made a decision. They lived in the Europe. They loved God with all their heart and they believed that the world needed to know Jesus and there were pockets of the world that were being discovered that didn't know Jesus. And, and so the Moravians, different ones in 1740s and 50s would begin to cut out and make their own casket and they would then put all of their belongings into their own casket. Then they would buy a, a ticket to uh, the Caribbean islands, specifically Cuba, Jamaica, places like that where they were growing sugar cane and using slaves to do it. And, and they would travel with their cast and get off the ship and they would sell themselves into slavery knowing they would never go back home again for the simple hope that one day they could lead these people, these slaves that they would pick the sugar with uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, that's called a very creative gesture, something that would cost even your life. The Bible's full of things like that as well. So other things like Martin Luther uh, that, that uh, nailed the 95 Theses on the door of Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517, thus beginning the Reformation. There was Rosa Parks and I believe it was 1955 who refused to give up her seat and because of that gesture she made, that grand gesture, suddenly the civil rights movement was launched into our nation. John F. Kennedy made a declaration in 1961 and said, we're going to walk a man on the moon before this decade is up. That was a gesture that he made that had grand um, implications before, behind it. There was people in the Bible like Abraham who sacrificed his son, his only son, Isaac, on the altar, showing his faith and trust in God. People like the Israelites who circled around Jericho for seven times on the seventh day and in, on that seventh time around begin to shout at these walls and the walls begin to come down. I'm talking about a gesture of grandeur that was made. There was people like Esther who said, I'm going to fast. We're all going to fast for three days and then I'm going to go into the king and I'm going to ask a request even though I have not been called upon. People like Elisha who was out there plowing in the field and then a man that he didn't even know really comes along, but he was a prophet and he lays his mantle upon him and says, if you'll follow me and if you'll just follow what I'm doing, God will do something marvelous in your life as well. And so Elisha cut up his plowshares and he burned his plowshares and cut up his oxen and followed after this man of God and became an incredible prophet. It was a grand gesture. It was like, like people like Ezekiel, who the Bible says he laid on his left side for 390 days to preach a message to the people of Israel of how they need to turn to their, from their wicked ways. James and John dropping their nets uh, on the other side after hearing the words of Jesus on the bank, uh, even though they've been fishing all night long. Grand gestures like Peter saying, I'm going to step out of the boat. I'm going to walk on this water. Even though no one's ever done that in the history of mankind, I'm going to step out in faith. People like Zacchaeus uh, saying, I'm not, I know I'm a nobody and I'm not, an insignificant, but I'm going to climb out of this tree I'm going to have dinner with this man named the Messiah, like Paul, shaving his head at Centria, saying, I'm going to identify with these people. I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach some of these people to Christ, like the Ephesians, burning up all of their books uh, about witchcraft and, uh, and astrology and all these kind of things and saying, I'm going to follow after God. There comes times in your life where you have to take out the machete that God has given you, the sword of the Spirit, if you would, and you have to cut the rope and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And whatever that looks like, whatever that moment is, that defining moment, I will do what it takes because sometimes decades happen in a day. And sometimes decades happen in a moment. I remember at the age of eight years old in my own personal life, at the age of eight in the Coliseum at actually a football stadium in Denver, Colorado, hearing Billy Graham speak a message and at the end of the message, something gripping my heart that was, that was supernatural, it was God. And it'd be hearing Billy Graham saying, come, come and give your heart to Jesus. Come and surrender your life to the Lord. I remember grabbing the seat in front of me and bare knuckling it and white knuckling it until finally I couldn't do it anymore. And I remember taking that step out on that concrete step. And I remember walking down those steps as if it was only yesterday. I remember walking down on that football field. I remember walking fast, fast and quickly up into that platform where he was standing along with hundreds of other people. I remember the prayer session I had with some volunteer that was praying with me in this little room afterwards. I remember that decision as if it was yesterday, a grand gesture that changed my life. I remember the age of 10 years old bowing my knee in my mother's bedroom and asking the Holy Spirit to come and baptize me and fill me with his spirit and with his power. I remember at the age of 19, the Holy Spirit and God began to work upon me. And I remember that moment, that particular moment in November where he called me and said, I've put my hand upon you for good young man. It's my, I desire for you to preach the gospel. I desire for you to be a trumpet in the household of faith. I remember as this was yesterday, a grand gesture. And I said, yes, God. God, whatever it takes. I remember at 35, seemingly like ministry was going to be over for me for the rest of my life. And we found ourselves back in my hometown where I was born and not having any ministry prospects. It seemed like that would be the last thing that would ever come my way. And taking that little walk around the block and, and literally dying to my dreams and dying to my visions and saying, God, if all you call me to is this, now just do what, you know, whatever. I'll do it, but Lord, help me. And I remember that dying process. I remember the tears. I remember walking that out and, and then I remember God whispering back up and saying that's all I wanted to hear from you son and two weeks later birthing a desire to pastor and giving me a group of people who've been praying for a church to be birthed uh, for two years uh, in the home having a little prayer meeting and we kind of found each other supernaturally miraculously and birthed a church out of a little home Bible study. I, I remember these moments as if it was absolutely yesterday and it's all called a grand gesture. It's all these moments in life uh, where you realize I have to cut loose of something that's been holding me back, holding me down up until now. And for now, I'm making a, mo a decision that, God, I'm coming after you. Whatever it looks like uh, from this point on, I'm yours. May you use me, my God. Let my life mount, amount to something in this world. Our text today is in the book of Mark chapter 4. We've talked about this and referenced this several times recently. Then that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Jesus, let us go over to the other side. And leaving a crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also others in the boat with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat and it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Disciples woke him, said, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebukes the wind, says to the waves, quiet, be still. The wind dies down, it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Let me just kind of walk us through this passage for a few minutes and then I'm gonna leave you with a couple nuggets at the end. The Sea of Galilee, 13 miles long, eight miles wide, 700 feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains. And, and Jesus said, let's take a journey into the darkness. Come on. How many have felt compelled that God's calling you to take a journey into darkness? If you know anything about Jesus, he loves to take journeys into darkness. And it said, the Bible says, and they left the crowd behind. It is amazing to me how much of us allow our lives to be filled with the crowds. I found some people feel like they're almost afraid to be anywhere where there's not a crowd. We fill our lives with the crowd. We have in our purse or our pocket information overload. Access the moment we wake up looking at news and burying ourselves into the social media syndrome. Research has shown, and I, my name is JP and I'm your friend. The research has shown that over two hours a day, the average person spends looking at social media. Two hours of a day. Like, I counter the fact that you sleep perhaps maybe another seven or eight hours a day. That's almost half of your life you're gonna spend either in bed or on your phone. You're gonna spend 15%, the average person now will spend 15% of their time on social media. The white nose noise drowns out the very voice of God. Where you cannot hear the still small voice of God anymore because you're so wrapped up in what everyone else is doing in their made up charade life that they're trying to make it look like is so happy. Mark 4.37, a furious squall came up. Mark 4.38, Jesus is in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Here, can I just say this about that? Jesus gave me the right to take a nap. You thought I was going to say something really deep and spiritual, didn't you? Yeah. I, I, I tell you, personally, I'm a nap guy. You know, I love nap. My wife, she can't nap. She can't, I don't know why she can, but she cannot fall asleep. Man, you just give me 20 minutes, put my feet up in the air, I'm good to go. 20 minutes all day. They say, let me just talk about naps for a second. They say that you, you have, everybody has one creative season in their day. Most people, it's in the morning time. Some, it's late at night. But you have this one little kind of few hours where you're very creative and you're very productive. So if that is the case, and that's one of you, and, and within two or three o'clock, you're like, you're like a zombie. You're, you know, you're, you're, you got three men hanging on your eyelids, you know, you're, you're like drooling, you know, and you're trying to get work done, then you're very unproductive. If you just take a 20-minute nap, you will become 34% more productive after that nap than you would be the rest of the day. So that gives you two creative moments in the day. Come on, somebody say, I need a nap. <laughs> but tell your neighbor, nudge him, say, not now. Come on, unless this isn't the moment, not right now. And they say to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? The man is sleeping. And automatically they think he doesn't care. 
They, and they, isn't it funny when everybody gets stressed out, they got to blame somebody. Look at him, he's sleeping. You don't care. The dude came, I don't mean to call him dude, the man Jesus. That was not very nice, sorry. The Messiah came from heaven to redeem mankind for crying out loud. And you're saying he doesn't care? Of course he cares. He wouldn't even be in a stinking boat with you if he didn't care. But automatically we gotta blame God. We, we simply always seem to blame God when we're in a mess. We never blame the devil. We never blame other factors. We always blame God. You just don't seem to care. Have you ever noticed that, that, that these moments come in your life and, and, and many times in what God is saying, just stay calm. I, I mean, what would have happened if they would have just responded opposite than their natural tendency? And what if Peter would have said, hey, look at Jesus. He's just laying there, sleeping in the storm. Hey guys, why don't we just take a nap with Jesus? Come on, let's just all curl up in a ball and take a little nap with Jesus. Just a little nap with Jesus and I'll be fine. Just a little nap with Jesus, I'll be fine. Just take a nap. What would have happened? You know what would have happened? The boat would probably would have capsized. They all would have come up on top of the water, got on top of the water, and walked to shore. Come on, somebody. That's what would have happened. They all would have walked to shore. Just chill out and relax. Mark 4, 39. I love this. And he got up. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he got up. Slap your other neighbor on the hand. Come on, tell him he got up, baby. Come on. Aren't you glad that he got up? Aren't you glad he wasn't absent? Aren't you glad he wasn't off duty? Aren't you glad he wasn't off to lunch? Aren't you glad he was not off the clock? Aren't you glad that when you're in a big situation that is a crisis in your life, that he, even though he may be asleep, he will get up. He'll get up, he'll respond to your situation, and he will answer the call of your hearts. <laughs> How are you going to respond? How are you going to act? I remember our kids growing up, uh, they would be in the other room and, and my, my, I would hear one of them in the, from time to time in the middle of the night, mommy, mommy, oh, I'm sick, mommy. And I mean, like, like flash lightning, flash Gordon, my wife's, <laughs> I mean, I never even, I mean, I, to be honest, I just kept on sleeping, but she was on it. She never, I don't ever once, I remember her saying, oh, geez, not again. You know, no, she never, no, it's just, she was there, right there, because she cares, and just like Jesus, the same way, he got up. He got up, and he didn't grab an oar. <laughs> Guys, we're in trouble, come on. <laughs> so I grabbed that fried chicken bucket, come on, we got work to do. Somehow God's got to help us out. God, we're in trouble. He realized it was a spiritual battle. Isn't it amazing how storms bring the best or the worst out of all of us? I got to share the story simply because I can. So years ago, my wife and my three kids, a cousin of mine and my mother, went out on the lake in the Midwest and we were going to spend some, the afternoon boating and 
playing, you know, things and swimming. And so we got to a certain part of the lake, and and we the kids wanted to swim, so we just kind of just drifted down the lake there and and just let the kids swim around the boat. And some some clouds begin to come up, and and they start getting closer and getting a little darker. My mom said, hey, you know, I think we should probably move. We should leave. And yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And they got really close. And then the, 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 the wind kind of changed. You know how when a storm's coming, the wind's changed. And, and, and mom's like, hey, we need to go. I'm like, yeah, we need to go. Come on, kids, get in, get in, get in. And uh, so they got in, and they're shivering and everything. And uh, the, the wind has now kind of picked up a little bit. We're kind of really floating fast down the lake. And, and, uh, and then, then I went to crank the motor, the engine. Everyone's looking at me. I'm like, okay, just hold on, just hold on. I'm trying to think what's going on here, what's happening. By that time, now it's raining on us. I mean, the kind of like sheets of rain, like where you can hardly see, you know, past, you know, maybe 30, 40 yards, just, just rain. And then we heard this boom, this lightning. And my mom, my, my, my mother, my woman of faith, godly matriarch of the kingdom of God cries out, oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. What? Lightning's going to strike. We got a metal boat. We're going to fry. And, and my, my kids are like, we're going to die? We're going to die? Oh, we're going to die. The whole boat is falling apart. I'm still trying to crank this thing. And I'm, I'm trying to give it the gas. I'm trying to hit the little bubble. I'm trying to do everything I know to do. And my wife goes, you need to do something. And imagine the noise, you know, the rain, and the, and all the, and, 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 and so I'm like, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, you know. No, you really need to do something now. I mean, you need to do something. I'm like, I'm trying to do something, you know. So I, I started looking for an oar. I'm starting looking for a paddle. I'm opening things up. I'm looking, is there a paddle? And then I look over at my wife. She's taking her shoes off. I said, what are you doing? She goes, someone's going to have to do something. I said, what are you going to do? She's going to jump in the water. I'm going to pull this boat to shore. I'm going to swim this boat to pull it to shore. I'm like, you can't do I'm like, you know, in my heart, I'm like, that's my job. You can't do that. So I tried. You can't do that. You're going to fry. You're going to, it's going to hit you in the lightning. You're going to fry. She goes, well, I, don't, I guess I'll just have to die trying. I guess, you know, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. <laughs> My whole world, my, my main car's being removed from me. My kids are crying. And the whole world's against me. I said, put your shoes back on. I'll do it. I ripped off my shirt and I jumped in. My cousin jumped in. We got some rope. And we're saying, we're swimming. I'm saying, listen, bro, if I die, if I don't make it out of here, you know, if I, <laughs> we're making these like, I'll give you my truck, you know, I'll give you my, you know. <laughs> You can have everything I have, you know. We're, we're making these facts with each other in the water. About that time, thank God, a boat out of nowhere came and said, y'all need any help? I know, we just like swimming in the lake with lightning around. This is, no, we're good. Yes, we need help, please. They took us safely to shore, and as you can tell, we did make it safely and survived. What I learned about that experience was, man, when storms happen, Everybody falls apart. Everybody loses their mind. Just to stay calm. 
Who's going to stay calm in the midst of the storm? He got up, he rebukes the waves and the wind. Shut up, he says, basically to the wind. Use this as spiritual authority. We don't have time to read, but read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We, 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 we have weapons, not as the world has weapons. But on the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Go back and read in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, how that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, rulers, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil. And that God has given us these, these, this power through the Holy Spirit to speak to the things that are against us and to cause it to become calm and still. And so I want to give you quickly two kinds of cutting the rope gestures. No, I'm going to move past that. I want to give you two keys, and we're going to finish and be done. Two keys to cutting the rope. I was going to give you four keys, but I'm going to give you two keys. Four, two keys to cutting the rope. Two keys to cutting the rope. What do I do? How do I cut this rope, Pastor? How does this, what does this look like? The Bible says in Psalms 34, verse 10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Part of cutting the rope is you got to kneel down. You just have to kneel down. Revelation chapter 2, the Spirit of the Lord speaks and says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Because if you do not repent, I'll come to you and I'll remove the lampstand from its place. See, repentance turns the heart of God. Humility turns the face of God. Consecration moves the hand of God in your life. And he asks us, will you kneel down? Will you humble yourself? Will you seek me? It's the first part of cutting the rope. I'm going to repent. I'm going to humble myself. There's a man by the name of Gypsy Smith. He was born in the suburbs of England in the 1860s. No formal education. Yet Gypsy Smith spoke at places like Yale University in the United States. He would travel back and forth across the Atlantic 45 different times. He would be invited by two sitting presidents at different times to come and, and sit in the Oval Office and talk to them. He was such a powerful man. Everywhere he go and he preached, people would get saved. There was never recorded one time where he spoke and not one person gave, at least one person gave their heart to Jesus. He was a powerful man. And people would come to him from time to time and ask him, how can we have what you have? And what is it you've done that perhaps we could do? And this one particular moment when some pastors had sought his advice and how they could improve their spiritual standing, he said these words to him. He says, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of that floor with a piece of chalk in your hand and then draw a circle around yourself. And there on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within the chalked circle. 
may we not be so caught up praying for everybody else to change, but may we start with humility and asking the Lord, change me. Because truly that is what prayer is. Prayer is asking the Lord to change us. How do we cut the rope? We kneel down. Number two, how do we cut the rope? And worship team, if you could come, I appreciate that. How do, we, how do we cut the rope? Number two, we stand up. You kneel down, and you stand up. Hmm. January 30th, 1956, Martin Luther King Jr. was preaching in his Baptist church. And as he was preaching, suddenly a man ran in through the auditorium where he was preaching, and he began to yell at the top of his lungs, Dr. King, Dr. King, they've bombed your house. Your house has been bombed. And when he went home, he found his house had been greatly damaged by the bomb that had been thrown into his window. And that night, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, as he was sitting in the kitchen of his devastated house, he said, the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord said, Martin, do not be afraid. That's what the Lord spoke to him. Martin, do not be afraid. And he realized at that very moment he was having that grand gesture moment. That from that moment that God was calling upon him to live his life in a different posture. And so from that moment on, he took a stand. And later in life, at the age of 38, he would say this, and he would die at 39. He said, you may be 38 years old as I happen to be. And one day, some great opportunity will stand before you and will call you to stand up for some great principle. It's some great issue. And to stand up for some great cause. And you refuse to do it because you're afraid. Perhaps you refuse to do it because you want to live longer. And in the heat of the civil rights movement, he's made this declaration again. It's going on and saying, you are afraid perhaps you'll lose your job or you're afraid you'll be criticized or you're afraid that you will lose your popularity or you're afraid that someone will stab you or someone will shoot you or someone will bomb your house and so you refuse to take a stand. Well, he said... You may go on and live until you are 90 years old, but you're just as dead at 38 as you will be at 90. And the sensation of breathing 
in your life is but a belated announcement of an earlier death of your spirit. What he challenged us to do was to quit living as if the goal of life was to arrive safely at death. Well, that was a good point right there. To quit living as if the goal of life is to arrive safely at death. But to live our lives in such a way that that God can use us supernaturally in ways that we would never fathom that he would simply because we cut the rope, simply because we took a stand, simply because we said, you know what, at some point in my life, I've got to get off this bubble, I've got to get off the fence, I've I've got to begin to move into the purpose and the plan of God, and I'm fearful, I'm a little intimidated by the thought of it, it could cost me a job, it could cost me some relationships that I have valued up until now, it could cost me my reputation, it it could cost me a little bit of sleepless nights, but I don't know, I feel like uh, that there's something moving me to take a stand uh, and to cut the rope uh, and to ask the Lord to do something miraculous in my life. Am I talking to somebody here this morning? I want us to stand, I want us to stand all over this room to our feet. Please, please, please don't leave. Please stay hanging here with us for a second. But as I'm, I was praying about this message even earlier this week, I, I feel like, how do you preach a message like this and then say, Oh, see you later. Go home. Bye-bye. No. I think there's times where you got to take a st- you got to make a move. You you got to take a physical step and go, "You know what? There's some things in my life that I know I need to take a stand. I know I need to cut the rope." There's some things in my life that, you know, I've just been kind of putting on the back burner. I've just put it on the back shelf. But today, I feel compelled of the Spirit that, that I need to put this, the, the, the axe to the rope. And I'm going to make a bold step that, God, here am I. And I'm putting to death these things that have held me back. And God, if I die at 38, so be it. If I die at 90, so be it. But I'm going to die knowing that I've fulfilled the purpose that you placed in my life. And so I felt like this morning, what we need to do is we need to literally take a bold step. You know, in the Bible, in Old Testament, they had altars. They would make altars, these places where they would just randomly pick. They put stones there, and then they would have this moment where they would sacrifice something to God, where they would say, God, here am I. Oh, God, I need to have a moment with you. I need to have this place, Lord God, where you intervene in my life. And and, and today, I believe we need to make this an altar. We need to make this a place where we come and we say, God, here am I. God, here is my heart. Here is my life. God, use me. And today, I'm going to cut the rope of these things that have held me back. If, If I'm talking to you this morning, I'm asking you to make a bold step and step out of your seat and meet me right here across this altar and say, I'm ready. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to ask God to cut the rope. Come on. Come on. Across the building. I know it's more than one or two or three. Man, there's so many of us that need to cut the rope. Come on. I'm going to cut the rope. I'm going to cut the rope. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not playing anymore. I'm going to cut the rope.
cutting the rope, I'm cutting the rope. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I'm cutting the rope. Come on, church. Come on, there's more. Come on, I know there's more here. Come on. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in your hearts. You're all I want, God. You're all I want, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, God. Prayer teams, I want you prayer teams to begin to minister. Come on. Pastors, ministers, prayer team, begin to minister right here. Come on in the front. Come on, begin to minister. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. You begin to lay hands and begin to minister. Prayer team, altar team, come on, you do that. Father God, in Jesus' name, we pray. Lord God, you begin to cut that rope that has tied us back. Father God, we're here this morning because we need a supernatural deliverance in our life. Lord, we're not going through the motions anymore. And whatever that looks like, Lord Jesus, do that in our life. Do that in my heart. Do that in my spirit, God, right here, right now. Cut the rope, God. Cut the rope. Cut the rope. Prayer team, please come and just begin to move around these people and just, just agree with them, man. God's gonna cut the rope today. He's cutting the rope in your heart. He's cutting the rope in your life. Those at the altar here, could you just close your eyes and lift your hands to heaven? Would you say, Lord, cut the ropes? Would you say it out loud? Come on, cut the ropes, Lord. All the entanglements, all the things that I've allowed in my life, Lord, I cut them loose in Jesus' name. Maybe it's some people that you need to let go of. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a goal that God never originated you to have, but you made it an idol in your life. In Jesus' name, we cut the rope today. We cut the rope. We cut the rope. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You're doing it right here, right now. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. A new day, a new day, a new season in our life, God. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. We bless you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus, yes, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Come upon us, Lord. You're all we want, Lord.
this morning there may be this crowd this size, somebody, but today you, you just need to give your life to Jesus. You need to surrender completely to him. Maybe you're already here, but that's the cry, the decision that you're making. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you right where you're at, say, I'm turning my life over to him. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? I'm giving my life to Jesus. Giving my life to Jesus, turning my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Surrendering my life to Jesus. For those that want to pray that prayer, I'm going to pray this with you. Just say this in your heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I cut the rope and ask you to take my life and do as you will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. For those that received Christ today, we have a tent outside and we want to give you a Bible. We want to give you a, some literature and tell you how much God wants to help you and help you. For everyone here in this room at the altar and out here, let today be a day where we go home and, and we just kind of allow the Lord just to, the Holy Spirit just to operate on our heart. I believe some major decisions have been made today. I believe we moved some mountains today. I believe some things have been cut from our life that were never supposed to be there to begin with. And I honor you for taking the step of faith. Amen. Amen.